in here, comes back. Giordano to Niedheger, it's a scores! Austin Matthews, it's a one-goal game! It's Morgan Riley shooting, scores! The game is tied! Nice, Perks in the slot. Giordano sends it, it's in! All right, fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fans, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, and you know what? Given an infinite amount of time, everything that can happen, it will happen. (laughs) That's just a fact, okay? I'm not making stuff up, uh, but we only had to wait 10 years to see the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs come back from a 4-1 third-period deficit of their own to beat the three-time defending conference champions, take a 3-1 series lead. Justin Bourne, a real kipper in Bourne, Joining us for the first segment. How's it going, buddy? Leafs win. It's unbelievable. Leafs win. It's truly unbelievable. Like, I tweeted it out, and I know it sounds like cliche, but it was truly unbelievable while we were watching that. In the definition of the word unbelievable, I do not believe that, like, while it was happening, it was like, no. Yeah. McKee said he woke up this morning and genuinely had a moment where he's like, did it? Yes, it did. (laughs) And the fact that it's an overtime game, too, it it gave you a full intermission to sit with. Well, yeah, they came back, but it would just be, you know, so of their nature. Well, but now the mind goes to, yeah, would be so of their nature. Like game four against Columbus coming all the way back after the missed empty netter. Like people forget that is a lost game. To the history of Toronto Maple Leafs at postseason. I think retroactively they've called that a postseason game, although yeah. it was supposed to be like play-in. But yeah, they come all the way back in that game. Matthews scores the overtime winner in game four. They forced the game. They still lost. <laughs> it's so true. That was that was an unbelievable game in Leaf history. But I did say to my wife, you know, she was like, all right, I'm going to bed. I was like, this is just, the Leafs have a way of torturing their fans. I expect to be in bed shortly after they lose. Like, I really You're had wrong. very little faith. You're so wrong. And I just was so happy to be wrong. And yeah. just to get it out of the way, because I've seen the response from people, of course, on Twitter, there are Leaf fans, and then there are, like, the really broken Leaf fans who are... Broken. Yeah. And then there are <laughs> all the other hockey fans who are more invested in what happens to the Leafs than the other teams. Um, and the the response of, like, oh, yeah, it's just setting up something even... look. What are you gonna do? Stab me? <laughs> um, like, right. like I don't know no. how many to... bleeding out. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really know what else there is to do. Like, it's not three nothing in a series, which is the only way it could have been worse. And like, at least it's a good team, so it won't be worse than the Montreal thing. They blew three one to Montreal. Yeah, can, you can handle this yeah. pain. Stab yeah. away. But but maybe maybe they. No, I, I, it feels different. And, and I guess let's let's start there. Yeah. Is it, okay. So it's not the first time we've seen the Leafs take a three-one lead in a series. But given the talent gap in the Montreal series and just everything that went wrong from there, and how dominant they looked in the earlier parts of that series, how different does it feel to you that this is a team that yeah stole Game Three? And then was playing a pretty rough game four, probably not as poor as as game three overall, but playing some pretty poor hockey and now has that gear and has Mm -hmm. that ability to reach down and get it, not just from a saving defeat, like saving victory from the jaws of defeat rather, but also the foot to the throat of, no, you're not going to be complacent with a split and and taking home court back home ice rather back from Tampa Bay. Like how different does that element of it feel for you? You know, what feels different is there's a few things. This Leafs team, I would say the the reputation of the core. And I think you guys would probably agree with this is like, 
when it can be easy for them, they take it as easy as possible. Like they have lost games to poor teams. They have blown series to worse teams. Anytime they've had room to relax, they relax. Montreal was much worse than them, and I think it was easy to relax up 3-1. Columbus. Even losing your captain, somehow you, you yeah. don't find the extra gear to right. unrelax. Right, and they've, you know, they've had motivation in the past that they just think, we can get it done, it's going to be easy. This is a Tampa Bay Lightning team. I feel like everyone knows who Tampa is and the heart of a champion and all that, so I don't expect them to take them lightly. I also expect that things are different with their team in terms of their makeup. Ryan O'Reilly is their guy who's been through the wars and, you know, I think elevates their level of compete in moments where they maybe used to take it easy. Achari, Luke Shen, these sort of players, they haven't made the big mistakes. They're not a risky team. They're not a run and gun team. It feels different. They feel scarred and wizened and old and, you know, up against a pretty good competitor. That being said, they played five consecutive pretty crappy periods yeah fair i mean almost four complete in in game three that they won in overtime and the first period of game four was pretty rotten shot attempts at five on five were 106 to 51 not good over those five periods so what are we to do with that justin because obviously yeah it doesn't matter you take the three one series lead but like does that Educate us, uh, give us any insight into to what's to come here in the next possibly three games. I think it should educate them in terms of what playing style works against this Tampa Bay team. Like, they have been ultra conservative. I watch them on the defensive side of the puck, and they don't want to get, like, in the O-zone. Mm-hmm. They're not pouring everyone in trying to win puck battles. They're backing off, and often they're leaving one guy in against two lightning. They lose the puck, and they end up defending. Isn't that what they looked like in game one? Like, wasn't that the problem, yeah. that they were too tentative? So passive. And yeah. then so they get down in these games. All of a sudden, they go, well, activate, get another guy in there, and they're able to sustain some ozone time, win a few more pucks, and all of a sudden, they're not in their own end all the time. It has felt like they have shown Tampa the ultimate amount of respect for the way that they play in a way that is taken away from them, they probably need to show Tampa a little bit less respect and try to take it to them in game five. So we saw that a little bit in the third period last night. Um, and in the know, overtime. And in the overtime, sure. a little bit more. And certainly to your point about how they forecheck and what the layers look like in the offensive zone, something that looked very different for to me and clicked kind of after that early penalty kill in the third was even just the neutral zone play, getting out of their own zone, mm-hmm. where um, they have had a lot of trouble getting past that second layer of... Uh, of Tampa Bay um, four check or neutral zone check, whatever um, that kind of clog in the neutral zone, they've really, really struggled with. And it's something that I know we associate that style of neutral zone defending more with bad teams than with a team, the, the nature of Tampa. What did you see that the Leafs kind of figured out? Because suddenly it looked like, you know, Matthews has some zip going through the neutral zone. Nylander especially has a little bit of zip with the puck on his stick. What changed kind of around that time in the game? I think it's a great question. Our mutual friend, uh, Cam Sharon actually tweeted about how Tampa Bay last year, you know, so hard to get through the breakout, the neutral zone, and eventually they kind of made some adjustments on the breakout that that helped them. You know, in looking for what that could really be, to me, Tampa Bay just kind of backed off a little bit more. I wonder if that's protecting the lead a little bit and saying, okay, you know, we're up three, we just don't want to get burned or whatever it is. And they, it's like in football when a team tries to play the prevent defense. and All it does is prevent you from right, winning. And all yeah. of a sudden they're, you know, picking off 20-yard chunks. It felt like they started playing a bit, prevent style through the neutral zone and and giving them room. I just know, you know, I see like some sport logic stuff between periods. 
you know, they were at 40% entry success rate in the first, and then all you know, it's 50 in the next period, and it's 75 in the third. And, you know, they were starting to gain access through the, the neutral zone. Is Tampa tired? Is, are they backing off? Mm. Did Toronto make a change? You know, tough, tough for me to really say. I'll tell you what they were doing. Tell me. Choking it away. They were choking <laughs> the hockey game away. This is a team that's been to three yeah. straight Stanley Cup finals, so they're obviously not chokers. But they've choked a couple of games away, like yeah. consecutively. On home ice. And, Shocking. And I, and I don't know, like, again, they can just go back into the memory bank and, and remember all the good times that they've had in the postseason. But they are slightly different. Uh, they're a diminished version of themselves, and especially no Chernak as well, right? Yeah, like, even yeah. the, the, the team that we've seen this season, we'll get to the goaltending in just a second. But, like, I, I, I wonder, I mean, is there going to be a lead? Like, it, it's so weird to have the shoe on the other foot. Like, is there going to be a Tampa lead in, in Game 5 that they're going to feel... Pretty sure they're going to salt away in a third yeah. period now. Well, this is one of the things is you know, we talked about it. We did Leafs talk post-game. We were talking about what comes of this. And, you know, the Leafs in game one, they go down a handful of goals. I don't know if you remember, they the Tampa scores one to go up 5-2, I think, before the third period with mm-hmm. like a real clunker of a goal. Yep. And it just took the wind out of their sails and the Leafs just went away. Yep. They just went away. Yep. And in game four, they're down 2 nothing, and you get that push. You know, you know, Toronto pushes and they score and they end up winning the game. It felt like that bled into game five where it was like, hey, we came back on this team last time. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can handle it. Now they come back from down three nothing. I don't what Tampa has done to themselves. I don't think the Leafs are going to go away. Like, it's real easy now to yes. say we have done this before. So to, to, to always have belief now if you're yes. the Leafs. And so, yeah, it's going to get hard for Tampa now. Okay, so now here's the other scenario that plays out on Thursday, which is that the Leafs don't dig themselves a giant yeah, hole and play, play more the like ideal. they played coming back in games three and game four and how they played for the bulk of game two. And, Justin, I'm curious. You know, obviously, Sheldon Keefe has been careful in this series not to overreact, right? Not a lot of lineup changes or even line changes to start games. Wait and feel the game out and then make those changes as he's deemed necessary throughout the game. Maybe a little slow, but so like it, it has worked so far and the buttons have been pressed has there been anything that he's changed late in game three or late in game four that you would like to see them come out and i know we're going to talk about the bunting element of it but bunting aside come out in game five no you went to this in game three and four let's not even wait let's start the game Mm -hmm. with this in-game adjustment you made well, you know, I would say that Tavares and Nylander at five on five in games three and four in Tampa were a concern. Like mm. where Tampa could get the matchups, I thought the Nick Paul line did a really good job making those guys pretty irrelevant. So there, I felt like you had to switch it up, give Marner to Tavares, which Tavares is always better with Marner. You know, Matthews and Nylander can do their thing. I like the changes they made in in Tampa. In Toronto, where you can control it, maybe you can keep you know, Matthews with Marner and, and Tavares and Nylander together. But Matthew Nyes is my favorite hockey player. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And he should play on that line with Tavares and Nylander. <laughs> Never <if> lost. Not- <laughs> he doesn't know what it feels like to lose a hockey game I, wearing a Toronto Maple Leaf sweater. He's 6-0. It's, and oh. it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. I also, I mean, you can say put him with Tavares and, and um, 
and Nylander, but you could also say he looks so good in that Ryan O'Reilly and Nola Chari line too. Like that yeah. line is my favorite Leafs playoff line that we've seen because Achari so has taken the physical play up to another level. Ryan O'Reilly is the clutchest clutch to ever clutch. And then like <laughs> Nyes has been, I mean, not mistake free, right. but anytime there is that mistake, he's outdoing it with two or three positive plays that no one else on the ice is making. You know, so you, you do have some real options there. You know, and, and even after hearing you say that, it's tough to, like, how do you break that lineup? They've been so good. What's really refreshing about Nyes is he doesn't, well, he doesn't have the scars. Like, he's, he's, yeah. he plays free, like, in the game where it's heavy yeah. and Tampa's clogging it up. And it's like someone threw a tennis ball in the ace for a puppy. And he's just like, yeah. you know. Unless the Lightning come out in a Quinnipiac jersey, then, uh, <laughs> oh, then he's got no scars. Emotionally ruin him. But, yeah, Rude. no, it's – he is a breath of fresh air, as uh, Sam McKee's calling him on our show. So, I – you know, he he has been a great lead for them so far. And Sheldon Keefe said he's the guy who will not come out. He's staying in the series. So, that's great. So, yeah, that, that was a pretty emphatic – quote from Sheldon Keefe and not that it was a surprise to anyone, but certainly not coming out of the lineup. Certainly not. Certainly not. Uh, Obviously the question has to be asked on a day like this, Michael Bunting suspension over, but Nyes is not the guy coming out. So I'd imagine whatever strategic tweaks they make, even some of the line tweaks they make, the biggest change we're going to see in game five is Michael Bunting is going to be back in and someone is going to come out and that someone is not Matthew Nyes. Now you can whittle away the options and it, it looks to me like it comes down to Zach Aston Reese or maybe Michael Bunting himself sits out. Um, maybe you take Lafferty out, but I, I've thought on balance Lafferty's been a little bit better than Aston Reese. Um, how do you see that plan? Like is Bunting back in for sure? No, definitely not. You know, it should be though. Yeah. Well, it's one of those He's things. better than those other guys <laughs> is the problem. It's, it's one of those, you know, sports superstitions versus overthinking versus whatever. Like Bunting, is he one of your 12 best forwards? You know, you start the year, you start a series. Yeah, of course he is. He played top six all year. Mm-hmm. But over two seasons of the Leafs, he's got over 100 points, 60 points and yeah. whatever, you know. 46 goals. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, like he's been very effective for them. So, yeah, he's one of their 12 best guys. But again. Who cares? Yeah. Is that where you <laughs> but, sit on it? Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, I was the guy. Right? I also want to be proven correct when I tweeted out after he took the five-minute major that he might have played his final game but as a Toronto saw Maple Leafs. Tweet. A good call. Here's my counter, though, and I had said this after game one and after the suspension. Yeah, if they're up 3-1 and they've looked unbelievable, there's no way you put Bunting back in, but they haven't looked unbelievable. Yeah. They've they've stolen Never at lost, least though. one of those they've <laughs> stolen at least one of those games and you know last night they if it goes to the judges scorecards they probably yeah. lose last night but they took it back yeah. um this is not a team that has looked dominant or as if there isn't room for improvement so i worry uh, i certainly understand the well no one's lost right you've won the game so you don't get your spot you you wait until there's a moment for it but that to me, it runs the risk of letting good get in the way of great. Like, like. You- but how has he looked in a bottom six role? Because that's where he's going to be, right? Like, he looks not like the twenty goal scorer that right. he looks like when he plays yeah. with Marner and Matthews. It's it's a great question. Is you know, if he goes back in, does he go play with Marner and Matthews? To me, nah. it makes. To me, it makes the most sense, though, because he's not. So it's a. But that's that's the part. So we can quibble about how poor this team has looked over the last two yeah. games. Not that line. Like when Yarn Croak, when he's played with Marner and Matthews, we get it. Anyone maybe would look good in that role, but they have looked good. And we've seen yeah. that during the regular season that those that that trio clicks. Yeah, I thought they Yarn, were, Yarn Croak hasn't been great in this yeah, series. I, I thought they were pretty underwhelming yesterday until the switch flipped on in the, yeah. in the third you, period. Like, yeah. I, I know all the the. The metrics would say, oh, possessions dominate whenever Austin Matthews is on the ice. And that's 
that's true. The numbers are the numbers, but I, I've been less than overwhelmed with them until the game's on the line. I don't know if you really know what yeah. to make of that, but I, I think you can make the case for bunting back in the yarn croak spot as much as I said. I, I think yarn croak's great in that spot. I, I haven't been as excited as I hope to be. Yeah, there's a little piece of me that's like one thing that I love about this current Leafs lineup, Sands bunting, mm. is the puzzle pieces fit. The fourth line is a fourth line. They skate fast, they hit, they forecheck, they defend, and they get off the rink. If Michael Bunting's on that line, what are you asking him and Aston Reese to be? You know, Aston Reese was a scorer in college. Like, do they try to be something that's not the line you want them to be? And so then you play Bunting up the line, and Yarncroft hasn't looked effective when he hasn't played with great players. So, mm. it you know, like, the other thing with Bunting is he they're going to want to kill him. He took a brutal shot at yeah. an important player for them. He's not going to be back for game five right. either. They are going to want to kill him. And Tampa Bay has led the <laughs> NHL in PIMS yeah. for like 10 straight years. They love the – they're so much more engaged when it's feisty and physical and all that stuff. Do you want to bring back a catalyst for physical play? Well, you can go both ways, right? Because you don't want to necessarily play that kind of game with them. But if you think you can draw a power play or two out of it, around. And, and I know that you have last change, so you don't have to play this way, but Cooper just showed us for two games. He is more than fine using his fourth line against the Leafs fourth line. Maybe that's an argument for Bunting to have some value in the bottom six to go muck it up with the well, Perry line. And if ever there was uh, a game for him to turn the other cheek, like the, he will be that's so great point. cheek turning. You, like say, hey, you, you can, can do whatever in. you want to Michael Bunting in yeah. game five honestly so true you, you say to bunting you're gonna be in but you're gonna eat every punch thrown at you <laughs> yeah and yeah i don't know like he he looks at austin matthews's fight back against steven samkos he's like that's too much don't even do that no like yeah it. don't keep your yeah. gloves on the whole time he was second in the nhl first in the second in the nhl and penalties drawn this year like he's already good at it with the team that wants to kill him maybe it is a reason to have him and, there's a lot to figure out mm-hmm. here for this Leaf staff. And yeah, like second or, th- or whatever it was, top three in penalties drawn and also like not anywhere high on the leaders in net penalties drawn. No, but you'd have plus to, one. You'd have to think <laughs> if there is any amount of understanding that there is a line that you have to play up against and not cross, like Thursday is the game where Michael Bunting will be like, I cannot cross that line. Right. I have to be slightly less of Michael Bunting. And it's so hard too because now, you know, if you, if you're – selling me a neutered Michael Bunting. Is that a good player? You know, like a guy who can't do all those things that make him effective. I don't, I don't and want him I just want like a shock caller if he goes like 10 <laughs> yards off the property. You yeah, know, yeah, I, yeah. I know that we don't use those things. Like positive reinforcement is much better when you're training a dog. But um, I don't know. It, it's it's a tough one because like the the positives that we're, ta- we're kicking around here about adding Michael Bunting back in to a situation where he's not just dropped back on the first line they all hinge on Michael Bunting having a very sound understanding of all of these factors and being able to play within those factors. It's tough because, like, you know, you are going to want him to be a part of what you hope is a longer cup run. I just think it's so hard to look at Lafferty and uh, Aston Reese, who've been very good. Since the Aston Reese turnover in game one, he's mm-hmm. been excellent. Like, he's really done everything they've asked of him. So really hard for me to say, you're out. You know, we've won three in a row. You've done your job. You're out. Listen, I'm I'm really split on it. I feel like if I'm the coach in the games tonight, I feel like Bunting's watching.
Yeah, I think so. I mean, that was the indication I got from Sheldon Keefe, too, that he's kind of leaning in that direction. I don't know. Maybe I'm just putting my own spin on well, it. But you're I'm, right. I, I didn't hear him say, yeah, yeah he's, he's got a yeah, billion points for us. He's yeah. the top six guy he's going to be in. I didn't hear him say that. No. I did hear him say that he trusts him, you know, not to do that again. Yeah, he said that before he did it last yeah. time. <laughs> he also, also, he's just been, like, not lying, but, like, He's said a bunch of things he didn't mean throughout right, the course of the yeah. series, as any coach would do, right? Like, yeah. runs completely different lines of practice game two and says, no, those aren't my lines. Like, I, we might not make any changes I other than the bunting it is. one. It, maybe it's a Merrick line or an Elliott line that, like, this time of year, like, everyone's lying. Oh, it's yeah. in the draft, I think they say mm-hmm. that. But, yeah, everyone's lying now. It's a too. lot of the year where yeah. everybody's lying. <laughs> yeah, when do they tell the truth? <laughs> yeah. um, okay. I got a truth for you. Oh, I was going to drop a truth nugget. Okay. Andre Vasilevsky stinks mm. in this series mm. as well. Um, negative five goals saved against average. That is That's worst the National Hockey League in, in the playoffs so far. And, yes. They're going to start Jack Campbell. And <laughs> oh, no, wait. <laughs> the, the, the Derek Lalonde stuff is getting lots of play. It, yeah. it was shocking to me, but, like, made a ton of sense considering the goals Morgan Riley scored in yeah. this series. And, and obviously, yeah, Sheldon Keefe was, was well aware of, of that fact and, and made that known in his media availability today. Mm-hmm. Bourne, you, you've gone into, like, you, you know a thing or two about scouting, and, and you've seen some videos. One... Um, what is the, the pre-scout for a goaltender like? And two, isn't that a, a large issue for a goalie that's been as great as Andre Vasilevsky has been throughout his entire career to have trouble tracking point shots? Yeah. Like that's like in this day and age, you don't even take them because they're, they're, they're not dangerous shots that he has trouble tracking them. And obviously, you know, you, you'd prefer to have a screen or a tip, but that he has trouble tracking point shots seems concerning. This is actually a massive pet peeve of mine in sports media. And it's, you know, you, you see confirmation bias last year, everyone decided the Vasilevsky had a bad blocker side, right? They saw Mm -hmm. a few go in on the blocker and, you know, an an outsized number of shots did go in Mm -hmm. on his blocker side during that playoff run. You know, part of it is because that's the way he plays and, you know, he takes away other things and it makes him an excellent goaltender. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's, you know, you got to kind of give something like you're not as big as the net. So there was the thing where they thought Vasilevsky is a bad blocker and now it's Vasilevsky's weak from the point shot on point shots or whatever. You know, I'm not buying any of it. He's been mm. the best goalie in the world for like <laughs> 10 years, you know, like. It's so yes, maybe he does statistically he had a little bit more trouble tracking some shots from the point. I don't think you adjust your offense to suddenly just throw Hail Marys at him. What you do do is they can't get inside on this Tampa Bay defense, and one of the ways they can get shots is from distance. And so if they're screening him, if there's bodies in front of him, you can create an opportunity. And I think that's all they're doing is trying to get the best looks they can. In this series, they have eight goals that have come with the screen in front of Vasilevsky. Mm-hmm. That's a huge credit to their net front work. And I think, yeah, there are a couple things we can pull from this that aren't necessarily just Vasilevsky has trouble tracking point shots. For one, and this is kind of your point, is like, if you have a 921 career playoff save percentage, even like, oh, he's 915 on point shots, it's like, <laughs> well, that's his weakness. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it, everything's dark red on the StatCast page, but right. one thing is slightly lighter red. So yeah. target that. Like, sure. oh, he throws 100, so better sit on the 95 mile an hour slider right yeah um that's an element of it too and i wonder too how much of it is system and personnel base where we came into this series and this was before the chernak injury but especially now wondering about tampa bay's defensive depth outside of headman and yeah. sergachev and obviously those guys have held up pretty well for the most part in this series but 
maybe that is related to that is, hey, if it's not Hedman in the net front, if it's not Sergachev pressuring a guy, then the personnel here maybe doesn't help Vasilevsky stay in as great of situations to, if not track those, then at least minimize the damage. Yeah, I have a, an article coming tomorrow using some of the NHL's like player and puck tracking data um, that's talk, that talks about this, about how Vasilevsky has actually been square to like, Almost all the shots, you know, there's exceptions like the Matthews rush goal last game. But in this series, he has largely been square to the shooter at the time of the shot. The problem is, is D can't get anyone the hell out of the way. Mm. So Matthews tips one with uh, Radish on his back over his shoulder. You know, Cole doesn't have him and he tips one in the back door. Achari tips one in. Uh, Kerfoot tips one in. Like if you're Vasilevsky, you're like... I'm getting killed, but like it's I'm here. I'm square. You know, you can't react that quickly to tips. And the Leafs have just been excellent at owning that part of the rink where if that's Chernak, it's harder. Mm-hmm. If it's Ryan McDonough, it's harder. If it's Ian Ruda, it's harder. The guys they used to have that make a big difference. So right now they're asking a lot of Sergachev and Hedman. Hedman's got one leg. Sergachev left with an injury last game for a moment. Yeah. Like they're they're having a tough go back there. Crawl to the bench yeah, after blocking. He, t- he took it right on that <laughs> outside of part of your knee yeah. where like the I don't care how bulky your shin pads are, that part Legs is went numb for mostly <laughs> uncovered. Yeah, it's a stinger. Yeah. Um here's the other theory on the Vasilevsky point shot stuff. Morgan Riley is the most clutch even though the Leafs can't get out of the first round the last six years he individually is ridiculous and it would be one thing if like oh three of the five years Morgan Riley's like possession stats and metrics were a little better in the playoffs in the regular season but we have now a long sample at least of one round at a time of Morgan Riley being significantly better output wise input wise metric wise like however you want to slice up the numbers and Certainly the eye test, too. Morgan Riley is just a better defenseman in the playoffs yeah. than he is in the regular season. It sounds ridiculous to say, given the Leafs of it all and the playoffs, but what do you make of Morgan Riley's ability to, every year it seems, take his game to another level this time of year, even if not everyone around him is doing the same? This is the best part of sports where you say stats just can't tell us everything. Jimmy Butler. Yeah, you know, like just wait, 56 points? 56. He has six of the top 20 individual games of the last 25 years or something now yeah. by like game score. It's just, and in the regular season, he can't hit a three to save his life. Yeah. And some people just feast. They love the moment. Justin Williams, you know, for years is Mr. Game Seven. He's got crazy game seven stats, like two points per game. Yep. Some people genuinely just, you know, they. It's not like they play differently. It's that while everyone else is playing differently, they can play like themselves. Like they can maintain a level where the nerves don't affect them. It means a lot to them. Morgan Riley seems to be one of those guys. And so it is really funny going back and looking through Twitter at takes, right? And all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I said a lot of bad things about that guy who's yeah. pretty crucial. It doesn't hurt that Luke Shen's Bobby Orr. But. I was going to say, like, <laughs> leads all defensemen in expected goals yeah, for percentage. By the way, that's uh, – I was not – I love Luke Shen, like, the person and the Leafs figure and those big baby blues – at the trade deadline, I did not think that trade would have much of an impact. I yeah. thought he'd be the seventh defenseman probably. And yeah, Timothy Lillian's play decline or whatever. I did not think you would play Luke Shen in big minutes against stiff competition in this series and get away with it game after game. I thought it was going to be a game in and game out kind of thing. And maybe, you know, the 10, 11, 12 minutes he played like he did with Tampa's Stanley Cup run is wrong. Yeah, he's been he's been way better than I anticipated, and and I think better than anyone reasonably had 
the right to expect in his 30s and coming in a season where he didn't play a ton. Crazy. There's there's a moment in OT where he's under pressure in the forecheck. The, the, his back is uh, to the play, puck against the boards in the D zone. Two four checkers on him. It's overtime. He kind of like can't figure out which way to go, and he pulls it into his feet and mm, just like yeah, I don't remember jumps that. out yeah. the other plane. Yeah. It's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like Luke Shin? You became liquid? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like he has really. And so I think once things start, you start feeling that confidence. Like that's a confident play. Uh-huh. And so he's in a good spot right now. Yep. Riley's playing really well. And the pair you thought was your shutdown pair and Brody and McCabe don't look good. Mm-hmm. So thank God Luke yeah. Shen and Morgan Riley do. Brody yep. a couple snake bite moments the, the last Which is two really games. strange. Yeah. He is great for 80 of 82 games this year and uh, has not been great through four playoff games. Yeah, I kind of feel like Luke Shen with the chirping on the bench saying, at least I'm worth the trade. Kind of feel like it was a little bit at me. <laughs> it's like, see, I was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so Maya Culpo on that one. It's been awesome to see, though. He's, uh, sure. I mean, he's such a fun figure anyway, but to see him playing at this level alongside Riley, like they've been the best pair without question. Yeah, been and, and be, fun. being able to absorb that from Tampa Bay when I mentioned that that's a team that loves to do that, to play that game. Mm-hmm. It's nice for the Leafs to have that buffer. They haven't had that buffer in past years. Yeah. Uh, no, they haven't. Um, I was going to say they haven't had the 3-1 series lead buffer. Uh, it's been uh. a couple of years <laughs> since they had one. But never against the Tampa Bay Lightning have they been up three games to one. Uh, game five goes on Thursday in Toronto. Justin, thanks for hanging around. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, Justin Bourne. When we come back, Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content for DailyFaceOff.com. It's fan drive time. Sportsnet 590, the fans. Sportsnet 360. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I loved how we, we attacked over time. We, uh, that was different from what it was the night before. We, we attacked over time. We came out and we were on the attack. We drew a penalty because we're on the attack. Oh, it's all different. That was Sheldon Keefe. Uh, fan drive time. Sportsnet 590, the fan. Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis. Blake Murphy, he said it. It's a different team. Feels different this time around. Leafs are coming back from three goal, third period deficits in the postseason and uh, winning in overtime and up three games to one. Game five, the chance to close out the Tampa Bay Lightning on Thursday. Let's talk to Frank Cervelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. All right, Frank, is this a different Leafs team? I think it is. It feels different. I mean, you watch Monday night. That proved to me that something's different. Yeah, something's different. I mean, yeah. I mean, here's the truth: you still to lose in Game Seven, you still need to win three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but it is this is a factual statement. I I know, and and yes, that is. Listen, you don't have to remind Lee fans of that. Everybody knows that. Nobody's putting the cart before the horse <laughs> it's, here. It's also not as rare as it is in other sports and hockey because no. of the randomness of a hockey series. You can nearly, come back from 3-0. Nearly 10 percent of teams down three one still win the series. Right. Whereas in basketball, that's like less than five percent, and we're seeing you. Know, we'll talk about the the heat maybe oh, yeah. upsetting the box and the, the Lakers being close to putting the Grizzlies out of the way uh, in a little bit. But it is less rare in the NHL. And, Frank, I'm curious as to your take on whether, you know, do you feel better or worse about the, the Leafs' chances here given that they maybe didn't 
play the absolute best game three and game four, but still manage to get out of there with a win. Is that a positive in your eyes? Is it a neutral? How are we feeling about that? Um, I think it's a neutral because I do think if you were to look at the individual games, uh, just each on their own merit, um, the lightning have, I think vastly outplayed the Leafs for eight of those nine periods or eight and a half. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, they, something like that. Seven, eight, whatever. Definitely seven, eight, fifty percent of the uh, more they've they've controlled the play for more than fifty percent of the periods played. I would say. <laughs> I, yeah, but I'm saying take out game two. Yeah, in which the Leafs were obviously really good. Mm-hmm. You know, no, if all, you were to all just break down game four. You'd say that the lightning were the better team for the first 50 minutes. No, I wouldn't say 50. Uh, I would say that the, the worm started to turn there in the second period. And I, I think Leafs controlled pretty much the entire third period and definitely overtime. But yeah, it's, it's a good point. The so, first period, okay, they were so brutal. Then what, so then go back to game three. Yeah, no, that, that was, uh, that was four periods of garbage. And then game one. Uh, also, three periods of yeah. uh, pretty uh, pretty much garbage. Yeah, you could give the okay, Leafs so the, not... like, 15 minutes where they came back to make it 3-2, and then yeah. that's about it. And just to be abundantly clear, like, I'm not – I have no dog in the fight, so I don't – like, mm-hmm. I, what the Leafs have done has been incredibly impressive. So, But you to answer the question, yeah, it was how do you feel about the totality of the series being played and what impact does that have on, on potentially the way – the last games play out it's it's hard to answer because of that it is a really weird series and if you had told me that the lightning would be the team to gag on it the way that they have these last two games i'd be floored like that's really honestly the under talk you know it's it's great to hand the Leafs their flowers and they deserve them and austin matthews signature playoff moment uh, you know, cut, he comes through. They got timely scoring, and I love that that clip that you played from Sheldon Keefe on the way in about um, really putting their foot down in OT nine to one. The shot attempts were yep. Um, by the time they scored, um, all that said, the the thing that's not being talked about is just how awful the Lightning were. Yeah, they were brutal. I mean, not to mention the goaltending, which we talked a little bit to Justin Bourne about. But yeah, Andre Vasilevsky doesn't look like uh, the Andre Vasilevsky that we've seen the majority of the uh, last three postseasons. And it should be noted that he kind of he didn't look quite this bad, but like almost this bad through the first five games of the, the series against the Leafs last season. Then uh, kind of figured it out in, in game and six. Then he, he finished the last two games with a nine thirty nine save percentage mm-hmm. and allowed a grand total of four. I think it was four goals against. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, and we can all have our theories as to why he's looked the way he has, but how about this one? This is a guy that's, that's played a lot of hockey over the last three seasons. And with the, the series playing out like most postseason series do with every other game that he's getting a little, well, getting a little tired and yeah. and and didn't allow himself to be pulled in a in a lopsided game two. And now maybe with an extra day off before game five, maybe that's when we see the the best Andre Vasilevsky. I don't know. I have a hard time, and this is the one thing that analytics has also really struggled to isolate how much of this is because the team in front of him just isn't as good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it too. Like. This lightning team is not the same as the previous lightning team. They they're just not. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And that said, like this Leafs team is clearly not the same as the previous Leafs teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? The the Lightning are not going to get Eric Chernak back for Game Five either. He's still out with that mm-hmm. concussion. They Maple Leafs have the option of playing Michael Bunting. It's it's super interesting to to hear some of the discourse in the city, and then you know bandy about the the possible ideas and the possible guys that he could um, replace in in a lineup that has won three straight in this series. This is the guy that was at the very top of your pending free agent board. Frank, mm. how, how, inten- anymore, <laughs> how intently are you watching what's uh, what's going to come here as far as him maybe not getting back into the lineup for a game five? Well, everyone's going to be intently watching it. I think that's a mistake. Like if that were to be the case and not, I don't, you know, so we know Matthew Nyes isn't going anywhere. Sheldon Keefe made that declaration today, uh, which I understand. Uh, Nyes also on the ice for the last two OT winners. Um, I, I just, I feel like in some ways you, what you end up doing and I get the emotion part of it and that sometimes Michael Bunting needs to do a better job keeping it in check, uh, or that you could make the argument that they might not trust him after the suspension and the spot that he put them in, uh, with the penalty that went along with it. But the fact of the matter is he still has 46 goals and 112 points over the last two seasons. And his production vastly outweighs really the other, some of the other guys that would be further down in the lineup. However, do you make the argument then that it's offense is not what the Leafs need, that they need someone that they can trust and someone that can shut it down to close out this series. It's a really fascinating debate but I tend to lean towards putting Michael Bunting in my lineup if I were the coach. Frank, um, the way you laid that out, the way you explained the logic there and what Bunting brings to the table, it makes me think you would also lean toward maybe uh, Bunting gets his spot back alongside Marner and Matthews if you're going to use him because if you're going to put him in the lineup, you you got to try to get the most out of him and put him where he's been most successful. Is that fair to read from your answer? Yeah, and, and Yarncroke would probably be the guy that I would take out. Hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a guy that we, we discussed maybe coming out of the lineup. But yeah, Justin Bourne, uh, pretty critical of his play the last couple of games. So maybe uh, Sheldon King. Unless you want to target one of the fourth line guys and move Yarncroke down to the fourth line. Yeah, but those I, guys I mean, have been good. Kerfoot would be an obvious choice if not for <laughs> the OT winner and, you know, whatever the, the line chemistry you have. Yeah, they love him too, apparently. Um, so it, it seems obvious now that, hey, Kyle Dubas was proven correct with the, the Ryan O'Reilly stuff. Um, he's yep. tied for second in Leaf scoring with seven points in the four games. He's come up rather large uh, with the game-tying goal at the end of regulation in game three and then wins the faceoff before the OT game winner. But, Frank, we talked about it at the time, and there, it wasn't just you. There's a lot of people that were, were curious like how much there was left in the tank for Ryan O'Reilly because the offense mm-hmm. did not look at its best in St. Louis. What, what have you made of his play here through four games? He's been a beast. He's been, and I think more than that, he's brought a killer mentality that the Leafs have been lacking. Like that's the exact conversation we've been having the last couple of weeks. The Leafs will win if, or the Leafs will be able to topple the lightning if, they needed to be killers. And I think that rubs off on people. You see him come up with the OT or sorry, the game tying goal to send it to OT. 
how much does that rub off on Austin Matthews mm-hmm. to, you know, Hey, this is possible to do what we're talking about. Maybe it has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. I just think it's contagious. I think you see it and other people want to be part of it. And that that's why they acquired him is to come up with a goal in that type of situation. And it's not necessarily just the point production. It's also the mentality that comes along with it that, you, I think you only get by, you know, winning a Conn Smythe and winning a Stanley Cup, having gotten to the top of that mountain before that everyone else seems to come along for the ride. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers acquired Jack Campbell to win playoff games, and that's what he did in game four, coming on in relief of Stuart Skinner and only allowing the one goal look spectacular in, in the overtime as well as, as the Oilers draw even with the Kings and... He won't get a chance to start game five tonight in Edmonton. It's Stuart Skinner, the the guy that was the number one because Jack Campbell was so awful throughout the course of the regular season. Were you surprised by that move? What what do you make of the decision? Nope, not surprised. Uh, That's the choice that I would have made. Again, that opinion and $2 can get you the Toronto Sun tomorrow. Um, But that's Definitely more expensive than that now, I would think. Is it? I, I, you know what? I, I gotta say, I can't. A toonie can't get you a paper. <laughs> I don't even know if they I have paper so boxes anymore. In saying that, like when I first started my career at the Philadelphia Daily News here, I know different currency, but it was seventy-five cents. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, anyway, it's a while ago. <laughs> uh, the yeah, these are hard times. Um, so I would say, I know what the stats tell you about Campbell's game: stopping twenty-seven of twenty-eight. And I know that he made an enormous stop on Victor Arvidsson, that leg extension uh, that might have saved the Oilers' season. I still, the body of work this year, plus an eye testing for me watching that game, there were still way more chaotic moments in front of him that didn't need to be because he didn't have rebound control. Hmm. And so... It's it's way more of a confidence thing for me. I, I just think um, you can all like. I think you shatter Skinner's confidence if you don't go back to him. Mm. Like you can always go to Campbell again if you need be, but to go with Campbell now and sit Skinner, I just think it changes the dynamic for Skinner in a way that I don't know that you can dig yourself back out well, of. Well, plus much like the the Lightning now feel like no lead is safe in the third period. I don't know if the Kings feel like, you know, if, if the goalie change happens again, they take a 3 nothing first period lead and, and the Oilers come all the way back in that second period. Like, I, I, I think the Oilers, we know the game plan, that they can just enact it again if, in fact, Skinner looks like he did in game three. Yeah, and, and look, um, I just think Campbell is way more gettable. I, I, I just do. I, I think 888 save percentage this season, like, it's not really that much of a question or debate for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, we got an update on the price of the Toronto Sun. It's $3.33, <laughs> but that's plus GST. So. That's got to be the weekend edition. I, I don't know. All I ever cared about when I was younger is I, I, the Tuesday edition would have the updated NHL stats for the season through the Sunday, and my dad would bring it home from work <laughs> for me, just the just yeah. the NHL stats printed out. Uh, another update we have, I'll use this as an actual pivot. Um, 
Calgary Flames holding a, a bit of a mm-hmm. press event right now. Um, the acting GMs there, a bunch of the players, the mayor, uh, sounds like they are well on their way to a new stadium deal, complete with a land swap with Calgary Stampede. Um, how big a deal? I, I know that these details are coming down as we're on the air, Frank, but um, in terms of the stability of the Calgary Flames and the you know confidence in them moving forward, not as a, as a hockey market, but just overall franchise stability and good feeling around that team. How big a deal is this for the flames? Oh, it's enormous. Can't like, can't state how important it is. I think for the future of the franchise, when you have players at exit interview day, openly mocking your arena. And I hadn't been to the dome in a few years uh, until last year's Battle of Alberta, and I was reminded just how terrible it is. Like mm. it's it's a it's a straight trip back to 1982. <laughs> it feels like, and um, that's it's no good for the team. It's no good for opponents. It's no good for business. You don't have the proper you know suites and everything you need. The modern day amenities that drive revenue for your team. Um, I read a fascinating story this past weekend in the Chicago Sun Times about just you know ticket sales and and just how um, in, how much information these teams have at their disposal now um, in order to really drive up the amount of money they make in ancillary purchases around the game that is so critically important that they just don't have at the Saddle Dome. Mm-hmm. So that part is huge. But I think also for the way the franchise is viewed in the overall sort of NHL landscape is like if you're making a list of pros and cons of seven to ten things, you know, when making your decision of where to play on your next contract as a free agent, Calgary's getting dinged for, you know, the arena, the lack of a practice arena, all those other things that come with it that it's like, that's where you spend a huge chunk of your time on a daily basis. And for lack of a better term, it was a dump. So now they have this $1.2 billion deal Mm. that is now in place. 537 million from the city, 356 from Calgary sports and entertainment and 330 million from the province. You saw the premieres there as well. Uh, This is a big deal. Now let's see if they can actually follow through this time because this is the second time Mm. that they've had a deal in place for a new arena. Yeah, maybe Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau. They want back in, Um, but no, they can't. It's too late. Uh, All right, before I let you go, uh, Kale McCarr gets one game for for the interference. Horrible hit on on Jared McCann. Um, Michael Bunting got three. Different plays, I guess, and that was a continuation, but it was clearly like the puck was nowhere to be seen. I guess Kale McCarr's defense was that he didn't know the puck was nowhere to be seen. What, what do you make of, of the one-game suspension? It's a bad, that's a bad uh, defense. Yeah. Okay, so, like, you go through a stop sign, you yeah. didn't see it, uh-huh. and you smash and kill someone. Ah, I didn't know there was a stop sign there is not a valid defense in court. Mm-hmm. It's your responsibility, if you're going to smash a guy into the boards, to know that the puck is out of play. So I don't understand this at all, and I don't understand a million parts of this. Um, why did the officials on the ice review this and somehow come up with yeah, the that idea that it's not a major? <laughs> as Jared McCann can barely make his way off the ice. Yeah. And then more to your point, I don't. First off, there's no precedent at all to 
suspend Michael Bunting for three games. No. And I get if you say, well, one part, you know, two games of that suspension are for the hit to the head and the other one is for the interference. Sorry, like that math doesn't compute. Um, and, and then the other part of it is this equation that the Department of Player Safety somehow has, which is games five, six, and seven somehow mean more to the suspension. Like who came up with that? So McCarr gets one game because of that and Bunting sits out three because it was in the early part of the series. Like, come on. There, there, I, I don't, there's no part of this that I get. And I, I would say on the whole, you may think I'm crazy for saying this. I don't think what Kale McCarr did is any, any less egregious than the Bunting hit I'm with you. on uh, Eric Chernak. No, I, I'm with you. It feels like they're making it up. I mean, that's what Sheldon Keith said on the ice. Yesterday. It doesn't feel like that. They are <laughs> like they they never they almost never cite precedent. They there's the fact that it's a big guessing game yeah. every single time. And like I know hockey Twitter has like a little bit of a chuckle at it amid the frustration. Yeah, but they call it the wheel of justice. Yeah, it's not a good. It's not a <laughs> like good setup. <laughs> yeah, I, I I agree. Like I don't. I think a lot of the complaints in general about officiating and the Department of Player Safety are overblown, but I don't, this time I'm not sure. Like this time I actually think the officiating this season has, this playoffs has been worse than it's ever been. It's not great. And this time I think the Department of Player Safety and the officials on the ice got it wrong. Yeah. And the Leafs got screwed. Somehow. I didn't say that. (laughs) All right. Uh, Frank, uh, thanks as always. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one, guys. All right, you too. Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. Like, can't we just put in guidelines? Like, can't we just say, like, hey, apparently not. Well, like, and, and, and obviously there's room within those guidelines to maneuver. It doesn't have to be like hard and fast, but, but like here's like the baseline for a hit to the head, interference, concussion causing interference play. Yeah, and this has been the criticism of George Peros is that the, they don't establish or they don't work off of precedent very often. And, and this was why part of why I found the Michael Bunting suspension so surprising yeah. is that, well, this sets a whole new precedent that a guy who hasn't been suspended before gets three playoff games. And yes, it. It, it was absolutely suspension worthy. Um, but the NHL has told us for years that a playoff suspension is a, a bigger deal than a regular season suspension and pre- and precedent and your own history matters. And then now you're going to look at it next year when the first hit like a Kale McCarr happens and the bunting thing is going to stand out like an outlier where they're just like, well, that doesn't count as precedent because that was such an outlier. Why? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I know more show when we return. We'll talk uh, Blue Jays. We'll talk NBA playoffs. It's fan drive time. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan. And we are live on Sportsnet 360.